0: I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Steve Zelinsky. Thank you for joining us today, Steve.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Linda.
0: So can you tell us, who are you? What made you decide you wanted to be a pharmacist?
1: Uh, I wanted to be a pharmacist because my dad was a pharmacist, and I liked to see him how he take me to work when I was a kid, and I got to see him how he helped people. People really appreciated it, so I wanted to do the same thing.
0: How did you get into compounding?
1: Well, I think I was in pharmacy school and we were learning how to make stuff in lab and I got kind of interested in just making stuff. I like to cook a little bit and compounding was just like cooking to me. So that's kind of what got me into compounding.
0: Could you tell us what forms do you do of LDN?
1: Well, forms of LDN, well, we buy it as a bulk powder, and we can make it in anything, um, essentially. So the forms of LDN we typically make are capsules, which are pretty standard. Um, we also do a, a troche. We do a liquid, so like an oral solution. And uh, now we're working on uh, transmucosal films, like so uh, films that you can put on the inside of your gum, And gets absorbed through the the cheek. Sometimes people complain about the troche taking a long time to dissolve and having to sit under your tongue for a long period of time. So, one of the things that we've started to learn how to make, and I'm not saying we're experts at it by any means just yet, but hopefully in the near future we'll be able to make these films that go on the inside of your gum um, or on the inside of your lip, almost like chew or something like that, Um, and then it just gets absorbed through the the in into the skin if that mm-hmm. makes sense
0: okay yeah and did you learn about LDN in pharmacy school
1: I learned about naltrexone in pharmacy school and I heard it was great at 50 milligrams for uh, treating alcohol and drug dependencies but I never learned about it for uh, at the doses that I'm using it for or the conditions that we're seeing it be beneficial for in pharmacy school
0: Mm -hmm. So how did you hear about
1: LDM? I'm trying to think how I first got introduced to it. I think just being a compounding pharmacy, people would ask me, hey, do you make low-dose naltrexone? And uh, that's how I heard about it. A lot of times, the first time I hear about things are from other people that um, are wanting to learn more about it. And then it makes me learn more about it. Or I get stuck in a position where I need to learn more about it because I don't know much about it. To be mm-hmm. honest, um, I definitely don't claim to know everything about uh, pharmacy or medicine or drugs. But when I get a question and I want to find out the answer, I kind of go and look it up. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. That's how I got started with low dose, no trexone.
0: And how long ago was that?
1: I want to say close to five, five years ago. Um, I think people were coming in looking for it for different conditions and specifically pain. And I was like, slow dose. Um, not habit forming. I thought I'd give it a shot for somebody. So we did, and it worked.
0: How many patients do you think you have on low dose naltrexone right now?
1: Probably about 30, 30 or so patients on it.
0: Mm-hmm. And how many doctors are, are you seeing sending scripts to you?
1: Oh, probably about 10 or 11 right now.
0: Okay. So if you've got 10 or 11, they haven't got many patients each on LDN. What would you say is the stumbling block for them not to prescribe it more widely?
1: I don't think they're aware of all the different things it can be used for. I think that's the biggest issue. Um, I think the biggest stumbling blocks are having a, a good understanding of it for what they could be using it for, and then I think another stumbling block is maybe dosing of the medication. There's not like a package insert that comes with this like every other medication. You can't Mm -hmm. look this drug up in the physician desk reference and see this is how you prescribe low-dose naltrexone, right? That's not there. You know, if you look up naltrexone, you're going to see 50 milligrams dose and how to use it, but you're not going to see the different doses that could be used for in a different dosage forms that's available in as a compounding pharmacy or from a compounding pharmacy. So I think that's one of the hindrances that we see with this medication uh, being prescribed.
0: Did you know the MDN research trust have three guides on our website, a prescriber guide, a patient guide, and a dosing protocol guide?
1: I did. I think I found it once, but I don't think it, I was... I was trying to get back to it again. I was having a hard time getting back to it again. Like I couldn't remember where it was on the website. Okay. Um, but no, I think so, those are great references that I'd love to make available to the prescribers that I work with.
0: Exactly. So it's on the ldnresearchtrust.org website under resources called LDN guides. That might be of benefit to you and your your doctors. Also, um many pharmacists that have been doing LDN for many years, getting on for 20. They do seminars for prescribers in their pharmacy, have an evening and invite doctors um, to come along and you being the expert (laughs) and giving a a presentation and explaining to them um, what conditions LDN could be treated for, pick a couple and give some case studies, And tell them that you are available to answer their questions. Um, That's a great idea. Because I am sure, what state are you in? Missouri. Missouri. I'm sure there are thousands of people in your area who have either chronic pain, mental health issues, autoimmune disease, cancer. I mean, it's endless, isn't it? The number of people, you know, that... um, could be using ldn so anybody who's in your area who would like to help you expand the the client database um to get more doctors prescribing ldn in your area um that would be amazing to see it's your grow. yeah
1: yeah i think we end up using it as a an option a lot of times when other things fail And I think that's how we get people started on it for the most part. Like, uh, probably the most interesting one has been with, like uh, for hair loss, post-COVID, I think has been really interesting to see um, when people have been having their hair falling out, um, whether it's from having COVID or exposed to COVID or what what it is, I don't know the diagnosis, but we try treating hair loss and nothing's working. And then we try low-dose naltrexone and it works. Um, that's been kind of a new one for me. Um, and the results that we get with it, it's, uh, it's pretty good.
0: Having COVID happen and the pandemic and everything, it has been a springboard for low dose naltrexone because LDM works so really well for long COVID. And there are two chapters in the LDM book three that address, uh, long COVID And you can hear Professor Angus Delglish saying that uh, he's a cancer oncologist. He also is a a virologist, so he treats people with long COVID. And he says that it should be a first line of treatment because patients do so well on LDN. And he said, some people have said, oh, but it's placebo, there's nothing to this treatment. He says that once they stop LDN, there's all their symptoms come back. When they restart, they go. So, you know, it can't be placebo. And he thinks that should be a first line of treatment as soon as people have COVID, you know, worried about getting long COVID, take LDN. And it really is a game changer for them. So I That's think... Great to know. I think because of the pandemic, I mean, there are people who have had chronic fatigue for years. And, and years ago, they were dismissed as being, um, it's new, it's imaginary, you know, it's depression. There is nothing wrong with you. Deal with it, basically. So and now COVID has come along, it has similar symptoms. And all these people are saying who've got long COVID, oh, fatigue is terrible, it's absolutely awful and that's been around for a long time but people who had it were not believed so i think it is going to raise awareness that will help people more with chronic fatigue syndrome although it's come on now people recognise it as a condition and not just you know imaginary condition
1: i agree so, I, I mean agree.
0: The, the you said chronic pain are people using it to wean off of opioids with chronic pain or are they using it once they're off the opioids? What I'm trying to say is, are you using microdosing LDN alongside of opioids to get patients off the opioids? Yes, we are. You are.
1: We are. Yes. And it's, it's, you know, it's been really interesting to see because there's a lot of hesitation and nervousness by the prescribers to do that because, but it's such a low dose that you can wean somebody off of opioids and morphine with it. And uh, we've been successful with it. And it's been pretty neat because when you're dealing with long-term chronic pain, to use something that doesn't cause the, you know, the, all the side effects, constipation and things like that, on top of the opioid addiction, it's pretty nice to have that in your, in your toolbox. Not every doctor has that because there's once again, they have that tool in their toolbox they could use, but they're they hesitate because of not understanding how a low dose of naltrexone is gonna work in combination with uh, a, a stronger pain medication, mm-hmm. like an opioid.
0: But it's it's it always amazes me that there are people who have had chronic pain for say 20 years. They've taken the highest dose of oxycodone. They then have another, perhaps, fentanyl patch put on, and they end up with this cocktail of pain medication. They then have to take other medication to combat the side effects that these medications have caused. And their pain is still a nine to a 10 every day. But by this time, they can't come off those pain medications. They're addicted to them, although they're not working. And my understanding, being non-medical, that these high doses of pain medications are very bad for your organs, so you're damaging yourself at the same time as it's not working. To actually take a microdose alongside of those medications where you don't have to reduce the dose initially, everything stays the same. So you're not going to go through withdrawal you're not going to feel your security blanket has been taken away from you, but it does make the opioids you're on more effective. So then that means you can titrate the opioids down while titrating up the naltrexone and people come off it. And I, I'm just blown away when people say for 20 years they suffered, they've come off the opioids, they didn't go through withdrawal. Some people say that they feel no pain anymore. But some will say, I still have pain, but it's a three or a four. And I know it's there, but it doesn't stop me from carrying on to live a normal life. I can still achieve what I want to achieve. The pain isn't stopping me. And I think, from the LDM point of view, that is just totally mind blowing because you think of these opioids as being like a sledgehammer. And LDN being a feather, you know, you think, how can it possibly be effective? But you've seen it too.
1: I have seen it. And I think it's really, really interesting because people don't just come off of their opiates when they go on LDN. That's where they start. They start coming off of their pain medications with the hardest ones first. But then the longer and longer they stay on the low-dose notrexone, more things can start falling off after that as well. But And it's really interesting to see the same doctors that are hesitant to start the low-dose notrexone for people on chronic pain medications to be the ones that would be the one recommending that that's not the next pain medication that they stop as well. So, for example, I had a patient that was on a morphine equivalent and maybe an oxycodone or oxycontin or something like that at the same time for chronic pain. And it wasn't going away. He was on there for about two years. And then we just recommended, uh, he said something about nerve pain and neuropathy. So I had recommended using a low-dose naltrexone. And he used it. And then all of a sudden, the doctor started titrating the doses of these medications away. And then it wasn't just those two. It was also um, other things like, I think there was like a Topamax for pain. That wasn't needed anymore either. Um, so it's not just, you're not just relieving of a couple of medications. It's a lot of medications. It just starts with a couple. You know, and all we did, titrated it up slowly at the same time of weaning him off of one of the pain medications. And then once he was comfortable without one of the med- pain medications, then he learned that he could also stop a second pain medication. And this was a period of maybe six to eight months. And over about six to eight months, he was... Opioid free, no morphine, no opiates, strictly just using low dose naltrexone with other like muscle relaxants as well. But then maybe a year later or two years after that, he was even able to stop some of those. So it's not just stopping opiates, it's stopping other medications as well.
0: I know some people who had fibromyalgia or who have fibromyalgia who were taking like 14 different medications a day. And some of them have got down to just taking two or three, you know, including the LDN. And that has to be better for your system, doesn't it? The less medication you're putting in your body, the better. But obviously, medications are important when your body isn't working correctly and you are in a lot of pain. So sometimes it's a necessary evil, isn't it?
1: It is, but I think it's a good starting point to see what alternative dosage forms and treatments can do. And I think that's what I really like about it is because I kind of play and not play, but I kind of work in a area of pharmacy where I'm doing both nutrient depletion, compounding and traditional medicine. So it's not one side or the other, but how do you use them both together? Mm -hmm. And I think when you can use something that and get an effect that the doctor wasn't aware about or wasn't completely knowledgeable about and it works, it Starts getting people interested in their own health and seeing what else is out there. And I think that's the best thing about low dose naltrexone. It's one of those things that does just that. Because it's okay, what is possible? Because this was, you know, my pain was forever and now it's gone. I had to use these opiates forever and now I don't. So once you do this and they get that, ex- they get exposed to that, then they start taking their health in their own hands. And I think for me, that's the favorite part of this drug is like people start taking control of their own health. And it's not, you know, and it's, and they can bring questions and stuff like that, but ultimately they take control of their health back in their own hands.
0: Doctors, if they will listen to you and work out.
1: And I think that's something we do well is like we only have about 30 to 35 people, I think, on low dose, no trexone right now. But I think that's one thing we do is like that's what we run into all those stumbling blocks and those challenges is we can make the recommendation that they should do it, but it's something that their doctor ultimately has to make the decision on. And so we try to equip them to empower them to have the right information in their hands and say, hey, this is where it's worked before. How, how can I start trying this or how can I take this step? And I think that's what we do pretty well. Not with just low notrexone, but all medications. You know, if a patient has a high blood pressure and they're not sure which medication is causing it, maybe they have two diff- two or three different blood pressure medications. I mean, I think pharmacists are great position to be the advocate of saying, okay, maybe talk to your doctor about this blood pressure medication, but not that one. Um, and that's something you see all the time. Sometimes these medications, the it, it's always about risk and reward, right? And if a medication has more risk or more downside than the actual benefit, with low-dose nitrex, there is a lot of good literature out there. You know, whether it's a case study or a a a larger study on multiple people or case reports or controlled trials i mean they're out there the data's out there it's there there's plenty of evidence to support using it to where it's still evidence-based medicine that we're practicing
0: well thank you very much we've come to the end um and i look forward to interviewing you say next year and we'll find out how many patients you have on ldn all
1: right we'll see what we can do
0: thank you look forward to
1: the interview talk to you later thanks linda